0: We're going to actually be in the first chapter of Jonah. If you want to turn right there, if you have your Bible with you, you can open it up. We're going to speed read, well not actually speed read, we're going to get through the first chapter uh, today. Um, we're going to read it all at once, and then we're going to kind of come back and unpack it a little bit. But before we get there, um, while you're turning, I've got a little story I wanted to share with you. Anyone really just love that weather that we had a couple weekends ago? Not this, I mean this weekend's not bad, but last weekend, Amazing. Amen? Yes? Uh, my wife and I, we actually have a, a, a new deck. Our deck was rotted out, and so we replaced it right at the end of uh, fall, actually, before the, the snow hit my father-in-law. And uh, another guy that goes to New Life helped uh, build this new deck. And so my wife and I were enjoying sitting on the deck, watching Emmett run around, eat dirt, throw rocks, you know, do all the stuff that one-and-a-half-year-olds like to do. Um, and I was reminded of a story that uh, happened to me around this time of year um, uh, when I was a freshman in high school. Uh, if you can just kind of plug your high school brain back in just for a moment. We'll, we'll put our adult braids back in after a bit. But uh, I, I did not run track. Um, for those of you who run track, God bless you. Um, you're awesome, you're better than I am, Uh, but spring always marked an opportunity for me to catch up on schoolwork. I played, I was a two-sport athlete, I played football and basketball, and then my third sport was playing catch-up on making sure my grades were okay before the school year was out. And uh, I, I, I was asked numerous times to run track, And I had a really simple reason as to why I didn't run track. I asked the coach, they'd come up to me and be like, Greg, why don't you run track? And I'd be like, well, what races do you want me to run? Are you going to have me run? And they'd say, 400 and 800. And I said, that is why I'm not doing track. Uh, Those are the death races. For you runners, like I said, you're better than me. But uh, because people were uh, always gone, you know, I got a little bit um, jealous, even though not quite jealous enough to run 400s and 800s. But I remember uh, a warm Friday, abnormally warm Friday, probably end of March, uh, beginning of April, clo- closing in on the end of the school year. Um, my friend and I, and my best friends actually, we shared a homeroom uh, the last period of our, we had an eight-period uh, school day, a little bit different than how they do it uh, now in, in Aberdeen, but we had an eight-period eight school day. Last period was homeroom. So we had we devised this, this plan. I was a, a goody two-shoes. My friend was less of a goody two-shoes. And uh, he was an avid uh, class skipper. So he, he knew all the tricks of the trade. And uh, he devised this plan. Hey, let's go to the computer lab. We get a pass from the computer teacher to work on an assignment. And what we'll do is we'll give this pass uh, to my, who, my, our homeroom teacher, who was my basketball coach at the time. And uh, what we'll do is we'll just go to neither. We'll leave, but we won't go... And, you know, we're pretty tight with the computer teacher, so I think I don't think they'll notice. We'll just go to Alco, go get a Mountain Dew. So uh, I agreed to this kind of reluctantly, but I was like, that ah, sounds pretty nice. That's pretty nice. They won't, they won't notice. So I think we've got a picture. We hopped in my 1998 Toyota Tercel, fire engine red, um, all fired up all three and a half cylinders of that beast and rode our way for you car junkies. You got what I said for those of you not paying attention. You know, I uh, it, it actually had four cylinders, later blew up. I think, I think this is about three months before uh, it ended up blowing up on the highway on my way to Gettysburg for a co ed volleyball tournament. Yeah, it didn't last very long, but um, hopped in, headed over to Alco, went in, got Mountain Dew, and uh, just went back out to the vehicle, cracked our Mountain Dews. Turned some music up, rolled our windows down, just enjoyed the day. What felt like about two minutes went by, and uh, my friend's phone started buzzing. I didn't have a cell phone at the time, uh, but uh, I, you know, now it's a little bit different. I think kindergartners, it's like the cutoff, you have to have a cell phone now. Is that how it works? You, you have to at kindergarten. Um, I didn't have a cell phone, but my friend did, and his phone started to vibrate, and the caller ID popped up, and it showed uh, Mama Bear uh, was the, the name that popped up on his phone. So his mom started calling I immediately panicked. Um, He reassured me. He's like, ah, it's not a big deal. There's no way she knows. She's probably just calling, wondering what time I'm going to be home for supper so she can kind of get stuff figured out. And uh, not five seconds later, uh, he got a call again. And at that point, we put uh, both of our brains together, so collectively uh, half of a frontal lobe. And we decided we probably should head back to the school campus. So fired up the Tercel, headed back to campus. And on our way, I, was tur- I turned down, we, were, we came north of the school campus, and as I turned north or south on the north side of Maine, I saw another vehicle which resembled oddly uh, the the vehicle of my friend's mom uh, turn, and what, what kind of played out in uh, a bit of like a, you seen an old western shootout where they line up and they, they fan the guns. Uh, that was kind of, uh, everything slowed down, it was kind of a slow motion moment, and uh, we both kind of took off, and I—I I knew if I put the if I put the pedal to the metal, I'm, I can beat her. I know a back way to get to. Uh, my parking spot. And hopefully, because you know, there's no way she'll notice, she noticed my, my fire engine red Toyota Tercel. To there's no way. Um, so if I get there quick, we can go in and act like nothing actually happened. So uh, I took off and beat her to this turn off. But I actually noticed that she didn't even come down this way and that she, uh, she actually went straight. So I was like, oh, maybe it wasn't actually her. I couldn't actually make out who was driving. It just looked like the vehicle. And so I'm thinking, okay, who, dodged a bullet. We're going to make it out. As I was getting to my parking spot, a vehicle comes flying in, cuts me off, and sure enough, it was his mom. And uh, she looks, and I, obviously we couldn't understand her, but her face was red, and you could tell that there was anger, spit flying out of her mouth, that kind of a situation. She tells us, roll down your window. So we rolled down her window, and she goes, so I don't remember everything that happened. I think I blacked out. Um, but I do remember uh, her telling us something to uh, the effect of, you need to get your butts inside and go to the principal's office. You guys are in trouble. Um, like I said, I, I don't remember anything that actually said. I do know that my friend was kind of spouting back and forth with his mom at the time. I was not a fighter at this point in my life. I'm like, I just want to avoid this pain. I don't want to get in any more trouble than I'm already in. So what only seemed like a couple of minutes, right, uh, we're sitting outside of Alco in Moe uh, This It's crazy how when I parked the, the walk, which was really only a few hundred feet, Seemed like an eternity to the principal's office. Anyone ever felt that before? Um, for the record, I'm not condoning skipping school, just so you know, uh, this doesn't have a happy ending um, <clears throat> for me. But I, as I'm walking in, I turn the, the hallway to make it to the principal's offices, and this, this is in the old Mowbridge High School before they demolished it. Um, I turn the corner, and before my highs is my five foot three blonde mother. Um, standing in the hallway, shaking, I'm sure a little bit. Tears filled uh, her eyes, filled with tears. Tears running down her mascara is all smeared, and she's just shaking, asking, "Greg, why would you do this? Why would you do this?" Which her reaction—it's definitely was an overreaction. But uh, the reason is because I, this was abnormal. This was not, you know, my my mom. I'm sure at this point's like, my kid is just gonna be, end up in prison. You know, like he's terrible. He's, I, we didn't know this about him. He's got a dark side, and. Uh, I said what any rational uh, freshman in high school would say to his mom, and this always works for those of you freshmen, sophomores, high school kids. I just said, Mom, calm down. It's okay. It's not that big of a deal, trying to play all cool. That was a joke. You never should say calm down to your parents, ever. Bad idea. Um, And I remember thinking, oh, this is terrible. This is not the way that I wanted this to go. And I remember thinking right at that moment, which, for the record, don't ever think this thought, uh, I thought, there's no way that this could get any worse. And right as I thought that, the bell rang, and all of the students poured out of their classes. And actually, the, the class that was right across from the principal's office um, was the homeroom of the girl that I was talking to at the time. And we actually had plans uh, later that evening to go as a group to the – Moebridge has a drive-in movie theater, so it was like the opening night. We were going to go to a movie. It was a beautiful day. Uh, pending parental uh, – uh, you know, like permission. Uh, needless to say, I didn't get that parental permission. Uh, the girl walked out, saw my mom bawling, saw me awkwardly standing there not knowing what to do with my hands. And uh, yeah, just not a great day. Not a, not a proud moment for me. And I tell you this story uh, for two big things that I, I, I think is important for us understanding Jonah, but also really understanding all of scripture. And it's the story of the human condition. Uh, condition. So the first is this, my stupidity, my lack of a frontal lobe led me to run and think that the rules don't apply to me. So my stupidity led to me running and going to Alco and getting a Mountain Dew and getting myself in all sorts of trouble. But you see, it was my parents' love, my mom's love, and my, uh, my friend's mom's uh, aggressive love that tracked us down, that pursued us and, and, and sought us even in our rebellion. And really, this is the story of all of Scripture. This is the story of your life and my life. And there's this tendency, two tendencies that we see. The first is this. There's a tendency in every human heart to run from the authority of God. Just as I ran and thought the rules didn't apply to me, we all run from God. We run from the authority that God has in our life. We run from the call that he has upon our lives. But there's this awesome tendency that's the good news of today, and it's that there's a tendency for the heart of God to chase us. That God, we are not the sum of our worst moments, but that we are children of a loving God that pursues us even in our stupidity. So we're going to jump right in. We're going to read uh, the first chapter of Jonah. It's going to be up on your screen. Uh, the translation should be almost identical. There might be a little bit difference. So if you're following along in the ESV, it's a little bit different. I'm reading from the CSB. So here's, here's how it goes though. Follow along with me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind unto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to God, their God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lots singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us, who is to blame for this trouble we're in? What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Can you imagine being in that moment and having this guy, you're you're weathering this storm, and he's like, I'm a Hebrew, the God of the one who made the sea. And they're like, what is wrong with you? Mr. I'm running from God and from the God who can literally do anything, he's the God of the sea, I'm sure that they were probably not very happy with him. Verse 10, then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, what is this you've done? The man knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that I will calm it will calm down for you for I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless the men rowed harder to get back to dry land but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them. So they called out to the Lord, "Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased." Then they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging, and the men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. This is a story that is really well known. We obviously know it because of, you see the picture on there, the whale. Jonah and the big fish, the whale. Um, But What's I'm going to focus a little bit on that, just very tiny little bit. But the thing that is, I really want to get at today is understanding two things about Jonah. Uh, why he ran, okay? And, and who really was Jonah, okay? So let's start with who he was. So Jonah was a prophet to Israel, hence why God called him and started giving him orders, instructing him to do this. Jonah appears one other time in the book of 2 Kings under the reign of Jeroboam II one of Israel's absolutely worst kings, okay? So uh, one thing that we know actually from, his, from this passage in Kings is that Jonah actually gave Jeroboam, who he knew was a bad king, he told him that God's favor was going to fall on him. So what we, can, what we can actually start to gather by knowing that a little thing in Second Kings is that we probably shouldn't trust the character of Jonah right from the get-go. So when Jews read this, they actually read this over the day, uh, Feast of Atonement. Um, they read this in preparation uh, uh, for this feast. And and so uh, when, when Jews read this book, uh, they know that Jonah is not a guy, they start off knowing, yeah, this guy's kind of shady, okay? So that's one thing that we want to know. He also would have been a high-profile guy. So this is your, this is your Billy Graham, uh, your Chip Ingram, your Andy Stanley. You pick whatever kind of spiritual guru that that person that everyone goes to um, for advice, um, listens to, drive you know uh, thousands of miles to a conference or fly thousands of miles to a conference. That's who Jonah would have been. And Jonah's call is to get up and to go to Nineveh. And Jonah does what? He gets up and he runs. Why does Jonah? Run? And that's the first question. So the first thing in your notes you'll see, for those of you that are avid note takers, we're all guilty of this. That's the point. There's a tendency in our hearts to run. We are Jonah. But why did he run? Why did Jonah run? There's two main reasons that, that Jonah ran. The first is this. The first is kind of the obvious one. Uh, if you know the story. The second, if you've ever seen Veggie Tales, you know this already. Um, it's because they slapped people with fishes. No, it's because they're, they were bad people. Ninevites were bad Nineveh was uh, one of the greatest cities in the ancient world. It was uh, not necessarily the capital, but it was the chief strategic city for uh, the Assyrian Empire. And these Assyrians were absolutely hated by Israelites for good reason. These guys were bad news. Uh, They probably slapped people with fishes, but they did stuff way worse than that. Um, They were, you've heard of, everyone heard of a master plumber before? These guys were master torturers. Absolutely brutal, even for an especially brutal time. People did awful things back in these ancient times. These guys were like, they were like a notch above. They were the pros of their day at torture, torturing. They were known to brutalize women and children alike of their enemies. They flayed their enemies. Uh, if you don't know what that means, uh, just think the word fillet, and it's pretty close. You're like right in there. Uh, that's what they did to their enemies. They would hang their skin on the walls. They would impale their enemies to the walls to, to scare off their their opponents. And it, it was very effective. No one really tested Assyria. They were bad news. So that's the first, the first reason that Jonah ran. Uh, something that maybe to kind of relate, because we don't live, you know, supposedly in his brutal times, it'd be like God calling one of you uh, to go and they say, hey, God tells you, why don't you go fly to uh, Mr. Putin and why don't you ask him to stop doing what he's doing right now? Uh, how do you think that meeting would go? Probably not the best. Um, and and that's, that's kind of the equivalent. It actually probably would have been worse. These people might have actually been more brutal uh, than Putin actually is. But that's, that's the closest comparison that I can really get um, in these days. So first reason, they were scary people. They had every reason to not like these people. The the second reason is a little bit uh, trickier to find. You have to be paying attention when you're reading this. So the second is this. Jonah was spiritually complacent. Jonah was lazy. He was spiritually lazy. And we know this uh, from two very clear passages. So in verse 2, what does God say? He says, get up and go. So first, the fact that he's even having to tell Jonah to get up suggests that Jonah's what? He's sleeping on the job. He's laying around. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. So he says, Get up and go. Other translations say, Arise and go. And what does he do? He gets up and he runs. He runs away. In verse 6, we see the captain of the ship come down, and what's Jonah doing? He's sleeping. And it says he's not just sleeping, that he went down into the ship while the storm was going on and he fell into a deep sleep. That same Hebrew word that's translated as deep sleep, is the same, it's the Hebrew word that appears in Genesis when God puts Adam into a deep sleep and removes his rib. So literally, I mean, we're talking about anesthesiology. You know, like this is like he is in an anesthetic-induced coma in the bottom of this ship. So he is in a downward spiral. We also notice the language when, when jo- God is calling Jonah to get up and go, he's saying, get up, get up, rise, get up. And what we see is he went down, verse three, he went down to Joppa. Uh, he paid the fare and he went down into the ship. And later it says, the, sh- the, the storm is raging. He went down into the deepest part of the ship and fell asleep. What this means is the trajectory of Jonah's life is a downward spiral. He's moving further and further and further away from God. Um, to put it into a little bit of perspective, um, we've got a map that's going to pop up, but I want you to write this down first. Running always begins with spiritual complacency. It always begins with spiritual complacency. And I think in our minds we get this idea, I mean, literally tracksters, right? Running is hard work. <laughs> running takes a lot of effort. But running, spiritually running away from God, doesn't take a lot of work. So let's take a look at what Jonah did. Um, you'll see right here. So this is where Jonah was. He went down to Joppa. And really, he's got actually a straight shot, as you can see by this. I feel like a weatherman right now. You'll see there will be a hot wind rising from the southwest. Uh, no, this is this would have been his straightest shot to get to Nineveh. He, he goes this way. This is, you know, spoiler, uh, he doesn't quite make it to where he actually decides to go. But it's about a 300-mile, 300 350-mile journey walking, okay? Next slide. This is the path that Jonah chooses. So Jonah, you see this tiny little arrow that was big on the last one, and you see this arrow. This one's quite a bit bigger. So he turns a what, what was about a 300- 300 to 350-mile trip into a 3,000-mile. It literally goes somewhere ten. Ten times as far away. So the, the equivalent of this today would be like God calls you to go to Minneapolis to uh, witness to those heathen uh, Vikings fans, and he tells you that was a joke. Uh, Packers fans love that one. I will say, full, full confession, I do think, Packers fans, sorry, I think the Vikings have a pretty good shot of winning the NFC North. That's all I'm going to say uh, moving on. It would be like God calling you to go to Minneapolis and, and reach those lost people in Minneapolis, and you're like, I like South Dakota, I don't really like Minnesota, I'm not going to go, and so you hop on a plane and you fly to Hawaii. That is literally the equivalent of, of the kind of journey that, that Jonah would have been taking. So the first point, or it, it's actually the second point, we're all Jonah, the second thing that I want you to write down is this, we all run. We all run. We all do this, now, you may be saying, what are you talking about, Greg? I'm here. I'm sitting in the chairs. I'm online right now. I'm paying attention. I'm listening to God's word. I'm not running. I'm not, and I'm not anywhere. I'm not like Pastor Rodney, going to go down to Florida. I'm right here. I'm focused. Um, but here's, here's the reality. I want you to write this down. Running is simply saying no to God. You don't have to get on a boat to run from God. You don't have to get on an airplane to run from God. And in fact, you're never farther from God than when you're really close to him or seem to be really close to him and you say no. We're talking about relational distance. We're not talking about physical or geographical distance, although this is illustrated in this story, him running a long, long ways away or trying to get away. We are never further from God than when we're really close to him or seem to be close to him and we say, no, I'm not going to do that. Running away is easy. Verse 3 Jonah goes down, he got, it says Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. The ship is always ready, okay? It, did not, it was not difficult for Jonah to find it. Who knows? We don't really know if he had the plan to go to Tarshish or if he went down there and there was a boat ready to take him to Tarshish. But at the time, this was literally across the entire known world. It would literally be like going to the other side of the planet for us today. Running is easy. It's not difficult. And in fact, once you write this down? If you want to disobey, there will always be a ship prepared, you to take, to, prepared to take you to Tarshish. Always. If you want to run, it's not going to be that hard for you, at least in the beginning. When you run, you'll find that it comes naturally to you. We run, why do we run? We run often because we don't like where God is calling us. We don't like the things that God is calling us to. And oftentimes the saddest thing, is it's not that God's actually calling us to anything very difficult. It's that we're that spiritually soft. It's that we are really that soft. Uh, a good example of this culturally is, uh, anyone notice that we have Zip Dish now in Aberdeen? Last time I checked, I know, I, I do know, the train can be annoying when you're on your way to go get something or you're on your way to work or, you know, you're going to go get food and then you get stuck behind a train. It's really inconvenient. But it is pretty nuts that in the small community of Aberdeen, that we have to zip-tish our fast food. It's like fast food isn't fast enough uh, if it isn't being made quickly and then literally rushed to my door so I don't have to go anywhere. I think a really good example of this is uh, anyone watch shows like Fixer Upper? One brave person in this room admitting... Okay, a couple of people. Uh, show, I know it's not Fixer Upper anymore, whatever it is that's on the Magnolia Network. Uh, my wife and I like those shows. I like to watch them and get grandiose ideas of thing, renovations that I could do to my house, and then all of a sudden remember, oh, I don't know anything about carpentry. I'm probably not going to be able to do this. Um, so we love watching those shows. Anyone ever taken aback by the fact that all these people, it's like someone my age or younger, and they come up, and they're like, I'm an Instagram influencer, and my, my husband or my boyfriend right now is currently unemployed and our budget is $4 million and we really want to build this new house. And and uh, one thing that we always notice is it's like every episode, they're looking and trying to get, it's like they're, they're upping the ante. Like you see uh, what you thought was the biggest kitchen you've ever like known to mankind. And then the next episode, it's like twice as big. It's like every single episode, they up the ante and the kitchens are just massive. My wife, when we watch the show, always just looks at me and she's like, Oh yeah, zero percent chance they use that kitchen. Zero percent chance she knows how to cook. Zero percent he knows <laughs> chance he knows how to cook. So I tell you that just to display this is kind of the world that we live in. We we may think like we like the idea of things, but we don't actually like following through and actually doing those things. So uh, we are all running from something, market inconvenience, um, and we're running to what comfort. It does you. It, we all have something a Nineveh that we're running from and. Uh, Tarshish that we're running to. The third point is this. You can write this down. We all have a Nineveh. Every single one of us. Now, your Nineveh, let me take a drink. Quick. Ah, we all have a Nineveh, and your Nineveh probably isn't as extreme as the Nineveh that Jonah was called to, but it doesn't change the fact we're all running from something. When we run, we're always running from something. I'm baffled by people, I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse a little bit here, but I'm baffled by people that are, like, obsessed with running. I've gone through phases where I think that I like to run, and then I remember as soon as I start to run that I hate running. Um, And anyone, anyone runners in here, you can raise your hand. Anybody, a couple people. Okay, like, I'm talking, like, actually enjoy, like, going out, like, I'm going to go for a run. Um, For the rest of us that didn't raise our hands, how many times have you thought, like, especially when it's, like, five below and they're out running, like, should I hit him? Should I? Should I not? Anybody? I'm the only one. I'm the only person. I'm kidding. I've never actually thought that. But the reality is, we 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 may not. That's not really running. That's running to get in shape. You have, your destination is uh, to to get in shape. You're running from uh, being uh, a slob. You're running from feeling like you know garbage all the time. This this story in Nineveh, uh, the most the most common. The most common, interpre- uh, common interpretation of this story, and it's, and it's fair, this is what it's talking about, is we, we kind of leave this just simply to uh, evangelism. Like, who's God calling you to reach out to? And you're saying no to that person. Maybe it's a coworker, or whatever. And I'm, is it saying that in this, in this book? Absolutely. But I want to keep this a little bit simpler, because sometimes I think that we can actually use evangelism or reaching out and inviting people to church as a justification to actually ignore the real problem, the real thing that we're running from. And so whatever it is, it could be loneliness. It could be insecurity. It could be just simply the responsibilities that God's called you to. It could be you're running from a needy and dysfunctional family that you really don't want to have to deal with. Maybe it's a dysfunctional relationship with your spouse. Um, uh, Maybe it's a lack of control in your life. You're, You're running from... Uh, this reality that, you know, you're kind of young in your career, but you look at your boss and you're like, well, I'm way smarter than my boss. There's no reason that that person should be over me. But in reality, that's just the position of life that you're in right now and you need to weather the storm. But what you try to do is you try to control and get people to go against that boss. So maybe that boss will just quit or maybe that boss will get fired or maybe you can find a way to manipulate, manipulate your way up to the top. Some of us have been there. Maybe it's fear of an unknown outcome. Maybe it's the very thing that you don't actually know what's going to happen. And so in an effort to try to feel comfortable, what you'll do is you'll run to something that you know the outcome of. And it could be something really simple. It doesn't have to be anything seriously bad. Maybe for some of us in here, we're running from real trauma. You know, we just got through a series on trauma. Maybe you're running from an abusive past or really, really unhealthy upbringing, something that really isn't your fault. These are all possible things that we could be running from. I want to remind you, when you're running from something, when you're running from your Nineveh, there's always a boat to Tarshish that's ready to take you. So the the fourth point is this I want to get at. We're running from something, but we're also running to something. We are all running to, we all have a Tarshish. What is it that you're running to? We know already that we're running from the simple things in life that God has called us to, the simple responsibilities. We all do this from time to time. What is your vice? What's the thing you're running to? It could be extreme things. It could be something really bad. Maybe there's people in this room right now that you have a hidden, deep, uh, twisted sin that is actually, it really has you in bondage. Maybe it's some sort of sexual or pornographic addiction. Possibly it could be even alcohol or drug—a uh, drug addiction that you can't shake. And I'm not, I don't even want to throw that out. I, I, we absolutely have people in this room and we absolutely have people that go to New Life that, that struggle with these things. So I don't want to downplay those things. But I think that for a lot of us, it may even be simpler than that. It may not be something really dark and deep and twisted. It may be just something as simple, we're running to a distraction. We're running to some form of entertainment. Two things that I see in our culture that are absolutely prevalent are these two very simple things. And I'm convicted of this too. One is this, what do we take pride in in this corner of the woods? We take pride in our hard work, our work ethic, do we not? We pride ourselves in working hard. And how many of us, when we have a harsh responsibility at home, will throw ourselves into our work so that we don't have to deal with the dysfunction that we have at home? How many of us will throw ourselves at, you know, in the name of being a good old boy in Aberdeen, you know, spend hours upon hours upon hours working and working and working and neglect our families because we're doing the thing that God's called us to do when in reality we're running from the very thing that God is actually calling us to do. Here's the other thing that I see a lot in our culture. It's this. Parents pouring themselves into the future success of their kids. You maybe don't like the way that your life panned out or the way it's shaped up. Maybe maybe for good reason, maybe you had a tough upbringing, maybe your potential wasn't maximized and so your result is I'm going to throw myself at this and I'm going to make sure that my kids have all of these opportunities. I mean, there's kids that are on traveling teams that I'm like, I, can they walk straight in a straight line? I don't know if that's true. Um, I wasn't, I played a couple of basketball tournaments but I remember when I was growing up, I, I wasn't allowed to not be in church on Sunday, I just wasn't. I wasn't allowed to go uh, to these basketball tournaments. And I will say, my playing time probably took a hit as a result of it. It probably did. And I'm not gonna lie. At the time, I was kind of frustrated with my parents. But now I see the importance of when you set a precedent, when you say this, we're gonna do this, even if it means that my kid might miss out on an opportunity. That's true obedience to what God is calling you to do. I'm not talking about a false legalism. I'm just talking about trusting God over your ability to provide for your family over your ability to set your kid up for success. In fact, the reality is most of our... This, what we're talking about is idol worship. We're running from the God, the creator of the universe, and we're running to a false idol. We're running to a false God. And when we run to that false God, very rarely, doesn't mean ever, but very rarely do we run to something that's totally dysfunctional. What we really are doing is we're running from the greatest thing, God, to a good thing that he created. But in so doing we elevate that thing from good status to God's status. Tim Keller puts it this way. when we, This is his definition of idol worship. It's taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing, or taking a good thing and making it a God thing. What are you running to? What is your Tarshish? I can tell you with certainty, your Tarshish will destroy you. It will, it will, it will come for you, And it will destroy, it won't just hurt you, but it will hurt everyone around you. Just in the same way, Jonah, running from God, runs to this ship. Jonah's asleep in the bottom. Who else? These people that don't even know God, they don't even know him, are directly affected. Our sin has consequences, and it's not just consequences, personal consequences. It's corporate consequences. We ruin our world, not just our own world, but others' worlds, when we run from God and we run to our Tarshish. Write this down. Sometimes, sometime in your life, if you're running from God, he will introduce pain to help you see the problem. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Sometime, God will introduce pain to help you see the problem. See, what does, what, what's, jo- what's God's response to Jonah's fling? He throws a storm at him. And not just a storm, it says a great storm, the greatest of all storms. This is a storm that Donald Trump would be excellent at talking about. It's the greatest of all storms ever. Nobody knows the horror of this storm like I do. It's the worst storm ever, okay? This is a horrible storm. And so there's two kinds of storms that God will throw into our lives. The first is this. Some of you, he's going to withhold that thing that you're running to. You're running from loneliness Maybe you're running through a dysfunctional relationship. You're running from insecurity. Maybe you're going to continue to run to social media to try to puff yourself up and make, make yourself feel better. Whatever it is you're running from and to that's trying to fix the situation, one of the ways that God will get you back on track is he will throw a storm at you and he will not allow you to have that thing that you desire most. He will withhold it from you. That promotion, that relationship, that certain sort of acceptance, he won't give it to you because your eternal security is more important than your temporary satisfaction. Amen? And the second kind of storm that God throws at us is actually the scarier version. So this is why it's super important for us to actually take heed and, and, and identify, how am I like Jonah? How is my heart running from God? And it's this. The scarier storm is that some of you God may give you exactly what you want. He may give you that thing that you most desire, that you think is gonna satisfy you to the point where it crushes you and it destroys you. And it's not a question of if, it's when and how. How will that thing consume you? How will it destroy you? You want a perfect family? God will give you that family and then he'll watch it crumble because the foundation that your family is built upon is, is sinking sand you want that promotion at work, you'll, he'll give you every promotion that you ever desire, and you'll see that by the, end of, by the end of your time, when you reach retirement, you have nobody to share your money with, you have nobody to share your retirement funds with, and you're stuck in a, in a condo in Florida with Pastor Wright. No, I'm just kidding. You're stuck in a Florida and condo by yourself, and you're lonely because you invested your entire life dedicated to achieving, to work. The good news in all of this, and this is the final point. I've got one more story I'm going to share, and then we're just going to close. The good news in all of this is that what? When our hearts run and reject and resist God's leadership, God does what? God pursues. God is pursuing you and pursuing me. And we, we may look at those storms in our lives, and we may think, God, why would you do this to me? Why would you do this to me? Why do you feel so far from me? Why does it feel like you're never giving me anything that I want? Why does it feel like my life never can go as I want it to? When in reality, that very storm is God's voice in your life saying, don't go that way, Greg. Don't go that way. I have a plan for your life, and it's to prosper, not to harm you. But this storm is to wake you up. I've Got one more story. Um, Anyone ever seen the movie Pinocchio? Can we agree that this, the movie Pinocchio is, like, one of the creepiest movies of all time? It's creepy, okay? Uh, the only other movie that I think is as creepy as another Disney movie, uh, I'm talking about movies from my childhood, is Dumbo. I don't even know if I was allowed to watch either one of these movies. Dumbo has easily the creepiest scene of all time. You know what I'm talking about, the elephant scene. It's weird. The story of Pinocchio is a weird story, but it's a powerful one. And it's one that we actually all can relate to. And it ties in really well with this, with this story. Of Jonah, so the story of Pinocchio goes like this: A uh, great uh, craftsman named Geppetto makes a puppet. Okay, he's made all these clocks and all these different things, but his his most prized uh, creation that he makes is a puppet. He names it Pinocchio, and he's a little marionette, and he's dancing around. and And in the Disney movie, anyways, the the cat doesn't like him. The goldfish are like, yeah, he's annoying. Um, And so he's dancing around, whatever. Well, that night, after Geppetto uh, makes, builds, finishes um, Pinocchio, a fairy appears to him and uh, basically is going to grant him a wish. And Pinocchio's wish is that he wants to be a real boy. He desperately wants to be a real boy. And she says, okay, but first what you need to do is you need to pass these tests. Now, this, I just want to get this out there. This is not, this, I'm not saying that this is exactly how it works. You, you pass these tests, you check these boxes, and then you'll find wholeness. That's not, it's, that's not the point, okay? But that's a, that pretty quickly can go into a false gospel. But I just want us to look at the tendencies of the story of Pinocchio and see what ultimately, the ultimate solution of the story, what, how we can apply it to our lives and how we can relate it to the story. So Pinocchio... Thinks that he can rise to the challenge. He's like, "Okay, I think I can do this. I got to show bravery and a couple other things. I can do it. Be virtuous. So I'm gonna go." So he goes to school. uh, Freaks Geppetto out, obviously, by talking to him. Not nearly as much as it seems like it should have freaked him out, um, considering that you know his puppet was talking to him. Uh, I I don't know, but anyways, uh, Pinocchio gets up, goes to school. Um, Jiminy Cricket, a little cricket, is appointed as his conscience. So everywhere he goes, the cricket's saying, I wouldn't do that. I don't think you should do that. Probably shouldn't do that, Pinocchio. And on his way back from school, um, he's supposed to be, uh, you know, Jiminy Cricket's waiting for him, and he's supposed to go back home so he can be with Geppetto, um, his family. And uh, he ends up running into a couple of con artists. And the con artists tell him, oh, you know what you should do? You should go to Stromboli's show. So Stromboli was this famous puppeteer, and he had a puppet show. And they're like, if you go and you become a part of Stromboli's act, you could become rich and famous. And everyone would travel. They would pay so much money to come see you, Pinocchio. And they would, they would, everyone would know your name. You would become famous. And Pinocchio kind of liked the idea of that. So Pinocchio decided, well, okay, well, I'll go check out what's going on in Stromboli. All the time, all the while, uh, uh, Jiminy Cricket's saying, don't do it. Don't go. You don't want to do this. Don't do it. So he goes and he does it, and everybody loves him, and they make all sorts of money. And afterwards, he's hanging out with Stromboli, and they're counting the money, and they're going through all this, and, and Pinocchio kind of starts to think, oh, I should probably start heading home. And what do you think Stromboli did? You think Stromboli was like, yeah, sure, just make sure you're back here tomorrow. No, Stromboli took him, and he threw him in a cage. And so in the pursuit of what he thought was maybe going to make him happy and fulfill him and lead him to find this ultimate fulfillment, being a real boy, comes to find out that uh, that the, the blessing of this joining this circus act with Stromboli is a cage. He's trapped in a cage, and fortunately, Jiminy Cricket breaks him out, picks the lock, picks him out, um, and then they're on their way. They're going to make their way back to Geppetto, but on their way, Pinocchio runs into another young man, and this man, this, this little boy is telling him, Pinocchio, if you're going to be a real boy, you've got to come with me and check out Pleasure Island. And so then they go uh, to this place called Pleasure Island where boys can do whatever they want. They drink any beverage that they want without any rules. They're smoking cigars. They're playing pool. They're naughty. They're saying words they shouldn't be saying. They're bad boys. And pretty soon, what happens? They start turning into Donkeys. And in easily the, the creepiest scene of the second creepiest movie of all time, everyone starts ee and turning into donkeys, and, and even Pinocchio springs a couple of donkey ears uh, on his way. And what they do is they then herd all these boys in, and they literally, what you see is these boys pursuing pleasure for sake of pleasure, without any boundaries and any rules. It turns them into animals. And then these animals are what? They're enslaved. They're sold. They're, they're treated as animals. And so what we find is time and time again in the story of Pinocchio, Pinocchio is trying to find this fulfillment, this wholeness. He wants to be a real boy, and at every turn, it's leading him. The thing that he thinks is going to fulfill him and make him feel better about himself and, and find whole, fulfillment and wholeness, it just leads to bondage. So he runs away, and long story, less, slightly less long. I know I'm going a little ways with this Pinocchio story. But finally, at the end of the story, the very last scene, and it goes right to credits, we see Pinocchio turns into a real boy. Okay, well, why does Pinocchio turn into a real boy? The reason is this, and I want you to catch this. Pinocchio found who he truly was wanting to be all along when he recognized that the thing that he most wanted was connection to his maker. That Pinocchio, when he reconnects with Geppetto, He has this transformative experience where he comes to realize that the very thing that he wanted all along, he had it. If he would have just gone home, if he would have just gone back to Geppetto, he would have come to realize it. And this is the story of all of us. That the hope and the fulfillment that we are trying to find in pursuing these temporary satisfactions, a better job, the best family, the best career, hope in a relationship, more money, whatever it is, whatever you're seeking after you're running to, you're running away from the very thing that your heart desires most. And it is at the moment that Pinocchio realizes that his creator was everything that he ever wanted, he found who he truly was, and he becomes a real boy. And this is the story of Easter, this is the story of Jonah, this is your story, and this is my story. That in our rebellion, we run away from God. We pursue vain things, hoping that they're gonna satisfy us. That's the bad news. But the good news is that what? God pursues us. God pursues. And the power, the beauty of Easter, the beauty of this story is that God has power to do literally whatever he wants. You see in the story of Jonah, God does what he wants. He has his way. He's in control of everything. But the one thing that he relinquishes some control to is what? Jonah's heart. God is in control of all of these things and he has the power to do whatever he wants. And that is amazing. The gospel is beautiful. God chose to identify with you and with me to lay himself down and there's power in the blood of Jesus. Amen. I'm happy about that. I'm thankful for that. But it's not just the power that we get from God. It's not just the power. It's this. He has the power and the strength to do whatever he wants. To change any heart, even the most hardened of hearts. We see Nineveh, they repent, they turn to God. But it's not just that He has the power, it's this that God has the heart that wants to. God loves you, He loves me, He loves the most unlovable people. And He cares enough to want to make a difference. It's not just that He has the power to do it, it's that He wants to. He wants you to change. He wants you to turn to him. He doesn't just want you to experience suffering. What he wants you to realize is that he is the source of all of the good things that you experience in this life. He is the ultimate good that will never fade away, that lasts beyond this temporary life. As we look at this crazy world, we're going we're gonna to close, we're going to pray. But I just want to remind you, as we look at this world, we do not know. We do not know what's going to happen. This war could lead to something greater, bigger and greater. That, we're not, that none of us want to be a part of. It almost certainly is going to continue to wreak havoc on the economy. And so even things that we value around here, security, it, all of those things are threatened. Now maybe things, realistically, things will probably kind of come back around and, you know, it'll go back to normal. But this is a moment that we have, church, to recognize it's a wake-up call. This is that storm that I'm talking about. Are you putting your hope in something that is going to hurt you and that's going to give you bring chains and it's going to lock you up in a cage? Or are you going to run to the creator and author of your faith? Are you going to run to the one who has not only a solution to the problem but is the solution, the one who loves you and pursues you even in your rebellion? So my challenge to you this morning and, and as we approach Easter is this stop. Running. Identify what it is that you're running from. Stop running to something else and surrender your life to God. Let's bow and let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for uh, just the story of Jonah. I know we're just really scratching the surface of this story, but but God, I, I just ask you uh, in this place this morning to do a work on my heart, to do a work on our hearts. God, would you help us to realize that these things that we, we think are going to make us happy, um, even good things in our lives, that ultimately, if they're they're placed on the throne of our heart, they're only going to hurt us. God, would you help those people? I, I I just have this hunch in this room right now that there's somebody that's holding on to something that they think is going to make them happy, that they're resisting your leadership because they really believe that they're a better leader. God, I know this tendency in my heart to in the name of being a better spiritual leader i 'll do what I think is best and really not care at all about where you 're actually leading me where you 're actually calling me god would you would you cause us in our in our heightened emotions emotions uh, Uh, to not do the thing that we desire to do most in that moment, but that we we would turn and we would actually do the harder thing, that we would choose to go to Nineveh when you call. Whatever that Nineveh is in our life, God, would you help us to identify it, and would you give us the courage and the strength of the power of your Holy Spirit to pursue it, to follow through. God, would you keep us from temptation? Would you deliver us from evil? And would you help us to see that your kingdom is coming, that this world is fading away, but you remain forever. You are the ancient of days. We worship you in spirit and in truth this morning, God. And we just thank you. I thank you for this opportunity. Tug on hearts, God, as we approach this Easter season, as we celebrate what you've done, would you convict us of our sin? We pray this in your name and everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.